Amen. Thank you, worship team. Appreciate you. Uh, so, Joel mentioned Missions Conference the first Sunday in March. Both campuses will be together uh, here at Shakopee for the two services. And uh, some things that we want to make you aware of. One, we won't be live streaming that. And the reason we're not live streaming that service specifically is because we have uh, some missionaries who are in some sensitive ministries where their safety could be um, at risk uh, if, if the larger uh, group would know uh, about their presence in an area. And so uh, we're not live streaming. <laughs> um, we will be interviewing multiple missionaries in a panel. Uh, we're super encouraged by those that will be with us. We're encouraged by what God is doing and uh, we would encourage you to come back and be a part of that first uh, Sunday in March. So just a couple weeks away. All right. Well, that is that. But last week, I gave you some information in part. This week, I'm going to give you more information. And that is regarding something exciting that happened. <clears throat> Let me revisit it. A few months ago, someone came and they live in the neighborhood, they do not attend our church, and they simply said, uh, we are praying with you, we believe that God has a plan for the community, we're thankful for your presence in the community, and we just want to know uh, what you're doing to reach the community for Christ. And so we, we shared some stuff, and we prayed together, and at the end of that meeting we went, cool. Uh, I thought, that's probably the last time I'll see this person, and that's fine. A few weeks later, I got an email that I read like five times before I believed what I was reading. And this is what happened. Again, someone from outside of the church, another believer who sees what God is doing and wants to join what God is doing, send an email. And the email said something to the effect of this. We have been praying with you. We want our neighbors to know Christ, so the community that's growing up behind us, and then there are another 300 houses across the street that are growing up. Uh, we want there to be a gospel presence there, and we recognize that you're doing a great job, and we just wonder if $100,000 would be helpful uh, for you to reach people for Christ. Yeah, we can give the Lord a praise offering. So, like... That has happened exactly zero times in my ministry uh, on, that kind of, on that kind of gift and, and that kind of heart. Now, I will say this, that we'll be talking about in the days to come, uh, time to gather for some prayer because money is fabulous, super helpful to take some faith-filled risks, but it's spiritual. Uh, we don't want people to become disciples of Friendship Church or of us individually. We want people to be disciples of Christ. And that is a spiritual matter. And so we're, we need to be in prayer uh, and we need to be wise. We've already begun to discuss some things that we could do, ways that we can connect with our community uh, for the sake of Christ and uh, to be a blessing to our neighbors, which is in part what Christ has called us to. So we would encourage you, one, to be in prayer now about that and two, be anticipating a time where we'll gather for some prayer uh, to seek the Lord together to see what he might have for us, and that what we do is actually impactful for the kingdom of God 
Again, it's not about Friendship Church. It's not about our ministries. It's about people knowing the Savior. The Bible says that uh, we were once, those who are in Christ, we were once children of wrath. We were given over to destruction. Our ways were ways of destruction in Ephesians chapter 2. But Christ, but Christ, in him we have life. And we want people rescued to have that kind of life. Amen? Amen. Well, we are going to be in a few places today. I want to encourage you to go ahead and find your way to Mark chapter 14. Hold your spot because we're going to dance around. Mark 14 will also be on the screen, but the other passages that I'll be sharing won't be. If you need a Bible, we'd encourage you to raise your hand. Let us know. We have uh, staff in the back who would be happy to get you scripture. If you don't have uh, a Bible or you need a new one, let this be a gift to you. We, we want you to have access to the Word of God. If not, uh, feel free to use your devices. Uh, again, follow along and stay up with us. I, I gotta tell you, I have been super encouraged by what God has been doing throughout friendship during this series. Not just the series from Mark 11, but we've been walking through Mark for a while, breaking it up into chunks and then doing short messages between those chunks. And we're in the final stage of Mark. Mark chapter 11 through Mark 16. And I, I would say some things about that, things that might be helpful for us. One, uh, Jesus clearly has a different way of thinking and living than those in the world around him. And he calls us to that. Additionally, in this last section, this is the last week of his earthly ministry, Jesus consistently <laughs> grabs their faces and makes them look at God like, you're, look, you're looking at the world, you're looking at the ways of destruction, and I want you to see this kingdom of God that God has given us. In fact, that God has attended since, intended since the beginning. If you have your Bibles holding your spot in Mark 14, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 3. As you're turning to Genesis chapter 3, uh, what... The, the thing that I would like us to recognize is that Jesus is the one who is blessed in the name of the Lord. He is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And we see that throughout the scriptures. In particular, we see it in this last uh, section of Mark. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And this one who comes in the name of the Lord is constantly trying to get our attention back to what matters. But what matters starts in the beginning. And we see something in the beginning, and I have, I've shared this a lot, I recognize that, and uh, FYI, I'm going to keep sharing it, because it's so important for us to understand there is like this default setting that we exist in that isn't the way that God intended. And this default setting that we exist in, Jesus wants to lift us up and out. Uh, you're going to see it in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3... Uh, up to this point, God has created man and woman in his image. He's created them in his image and for a purpose. And within that purpose, they are acting. And I'm going to use a phrase now <clears throat> that might be a new phrase for you. It's called extravagant humility. Extravagant humility. They, they, they sound like two words that maybe don't even go together, right? Extravagant humility, what is that? That is an emptying out of ourselves 
and a pouring it out on the Lord. Regardless of what is going on uh, in our world, it is an emptying ourselves out, uh, emptying ourselves of ourselves, and pouring out to the Lord. Extravagant humility, and we see that in the garden. In the garden, they are naked and unashamed. There is no shame associated with that vulnerability to God and to one another. There is no shame in the work that they're doing and how hard or how easy that work seems to be. There is no shame associated with it. In fact, everything that they're doing is pouring out to the Lord. Up until chapter 3. In chapter 3, Satan comes and does what Satan does. Steal, kill, and destroy. He does that all the time. That has been his role since the very beginning. But it's, it's really tricky in this, in this respect. He takes God's word and he doesn't just deny it. He doesn't just say like, oh, that's not God's word. He takes God's word and he twists it. Like, are you, are you sure that's what he said? He even misquotes it on purpose, seemingly. Just twist it a little bit. Just an element of truth, just a little bit of truth, and then a twist that throws everything off. You don't want to just be with God. Wouldn't you like to be like God? God says, do not eat of the fruit of the uh, knowledge, or of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat of that. And, and, and Satan goes, oh, well, wait a minute. You're not going to die. You won't die. No, you're going to be like God. Don't you want to be like God? Wouldn't you like to be like God? God is great, isn't he? Like all of these things are implied up to this point. And Satan just takes a little bit of truth and twists it. Instead of something being foundational and solid, he, he wants it to be fluid, a little, a little loose. If they would just accept that, and they do. They take and they eat. And if you would look at Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6, I want you to see something. So Satan has offered this. Then the woman saw that the tree was good for food. That's an important piece. A delight to look at. That's an important piece. And that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Those three things occurred. In fact, some commentators say that in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17, when John is identifying this world system, what is true consistently from the fall all the way through where John was in world history, uh, what is true is this. There is a lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And these three things are foundational in this world system. In fact, today, it is so like... it. Like we swim in it, like fish swim in water, and we don't even realize we're swimming in it. Let me use some other terms that may be helpful, not to, uh, not to move away from biblical terminology, but rather to help us better understand biblical terminology. Lust of the flesh is satisfaction without God. It's like, yep, I am satisfied without God. In other words, if I can get enough to eat, if I can have enough intimacy, whatever it is, I without God. Satisfaction, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes is significance. Significance without God. I'm somebody. I'm special. I don't need God to be this way. I, I am in and of myself. I am significant. And then security. 
is pride of life. Security is pride of life. And we see that laid out in this passage. Like that, that, is, that is the, um, uh, the, the system, the foundational system that this world of destruction or kingdom of destruction is built on. It was good for food, lust of the flesh, satisfaction without God. It was delight to look at, significance uh, without God, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom, pride of life, security without God. Uh, we see that. And if, if you would be willing to skip down to verse 8, we see that this uh, extravagant humility changes. Verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid themselves from the Lord among the trees of the garden. It goes on uh, in verse 10. God is calling out. Uh, I, I heard you in the garden, or I'm sorry, uh, in verse 9. So the Lord called out to man and said to him, where are you? Verse 10 uh, he, man, said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. It's the first time that shame exists, something where Adam and Eve could be pouring themselves out to the Lord. They are now reserved. They are now holding back and literally hiding from his presence. That is key as we jump into the passage that we're going in in Mark chapter 14. As you're turning to Mark chapter 14, uh, I, I, I want to share a question. Then I'm going to reframe the question. The question is, what is Jesus worth? We're in church, so we're likely to say everything. <clears throat> but I, I want to tell you that uh, I've been in ministry long enough and I've seen enough that, that I know that many people have a number there or a situation. Let me reframe it. What would it take for you to walk away from Jesus? What would it take for you to walk away from Jesus? Uh, over the course of the last seven or eight years, I can name uh, many situations that have come up. One of those, a celebrity pastor who got involved in a sexual relationship with someone who wasn't his wife, ended up having to leave ministry and in essence left his faith. Additionally, a uh, worship leader who couldn't reconcile that God is good and the struggle of humankind, that there's evil in the world. And because of that, they, they left their faith. They, they had a number. What would it take? They just had to see somebody suffer. Oh, there must not be a God. Is it possible that you and I walk in those places? I'll, I'll tell you during COVID, this isn't true for everybody, but I, did, I, I have seen it on multiple occasions that even during COVID, uh, when people started going, you know what, it's way easier to just watch online. I can even do it in my jammies. Like, how vulnerable is that before the Lord? Right? Like, uh, there, there's maybe even something holy about it. And, and then we kind of got out of practice a little bit, and they checked in every once in a while, and they found their favorite uh, churches that they watch sometimes, and then they watched it less and less and less. And suddenly, before they knew it, they were walking in this place of, yeah, I actually have a lot of satisfaction without God. I, ha I have a lot of significance without God. I even have security without God. I, I don't know that I need the Lord. And we saw that throughout the United States in a variety of ways. I'm not saying that if you watch online, uh, you're, you're bad or you've lost your faith. But I am saying that some people did. 
And that was a progression that they went through. What is Jesus worth? Or what would it take for you to walk away from Jesus? Well, we're going to see that in this passage that we're going to look at. Uh, some some uh, theologians call this the Markin sandwich. <laughs> Great term. Feel free to use it. And uh, what it is is that, that Mark will show an example, then he'll show an opposite example, and then he'll show the example again. Or he'll reveal a principle, then a bad example of that principle, and a good example of that principle. We have seen this so far several times in the Gospel of Mark. We're going to see it again today. There's going to be a bad example. There's going to be a good example. Then there's going to be a bad example, the Mark and Sandwich in it. I share all of this as framework as we jump into this passage. I want you to keep your eyes open for times when those in the narrative want to move towards satisfaction, significance, and security without God. I want you to watch in this narrative ways that someone has satisfaction, significance, and security in God, because that's the example we're given in the passage. <clears throat> I'm going to read a little bit, and then we'll pause, and I'm going to give you a, a, a little bit more context. So let's jump in. If you're not there, Mark chapter 14, uh, verses 1 through, uh, we'll do 1 and 2 first. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him, Jesus, by stealth, if they didn't want anybody to know, uh, we're fixing to arrest him and also kill him. Verse 2. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. What are the priests and scribes saying? They're saying this. We're looking for an opportunity to arrest and kill Jesus. Why? Well, well because Jesus has consistently called them out. Their authority and position uh, of authority has been challenged and has been shown lacking. Well, what happens when, when that occurs? They lose their position of authority. They, they lose the finances associated with their position of authority. And that's not good. They want security without God. They want security without God, and they're willing to do whatever it takes to get that security without God. And what it takes is to get rid of Jesus. And Jesus has been a big deal, right? Like, people have been following him. He's gathered crowds. Not that he's looking to gather crowds, but crowds just come around him. And, and we see that in this passage. Now, there is a change in verse 3. So, verse 1 and 2, the way that Mark communicates in these block formats... Uh, isn't the way that we necessarily think. You and I generally think chronologically and in order, uh, in a chronological order. That's not really the way that Mark thinks. It's often not the way that Mark presents as well. This is an example of that. Uh, we won't turn there, but I would encourage you to write this down, John chapter 12. John chapter 12 is the supplemental passage to this. And in that supplemental passage, we get a lot of information about the situation we're about to read. I'm going to give you the first part, and then I'm going to fill us in, starting in verse 3 of Mark 14. And while he was at Bethany, Jesus at Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, 
As he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment, of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. Okay, so there are a few things that you might want to know. One, most likely, I'm, I'm not going to say 100%, but 99.999999, right? Uh, and that is that Simon the leper was healed. He, you can't be a leper and have meals like this. Like, that is a cultural faux pas, right? Like, uh, if people show up to a leper's house, they're probably getting leprosy. Uh, that, that is very probable. It's most likely that Jesus healed this man, which is why Jesus is the person of honor in Simon's home. So keep that in mind. Uh, there's a lot of stuff to celebrate. Going back to John 12. John 12, I'm really good at math. Watch this, guys. Is just after John 11. Yeah, thank you. Hoosier. Um, in John chapter 11, let me tell you what has happened. Lazarus has died in John chapter 11. They called for Jesus to come early. Jesus didn't come early. Jesus waited an additional three days, right? Like he waited for John. John was, or I'm sorry, Lazarus. Lazarus was dead. He had been buried. In the midst of him being buried in a tomb, Jesus shows up. One of the sisters, Martha by name, comes to Jesus. Why, why didn't you show up? What is the matter? Like all you had to do was be here and say something. And he, my brother wouldn't have died, but you didn't show up. And he says, do you? Do you believe in the resurrection? Believe also in me. She takes a step of faith and Jesus raises Martha's brother. Lazarus, come forth. And he does. You, can you imagine what that kind of celebration would be like? I mean, those, uh, Martha and her sister Mary, they most likely are part of burying their brother, of wrapping him up, of putting him in a tomb. And, and Jesus comes to like, come forth. And they move the stone and their brother comes out. Like that shakes faith. Whoa. This Jesus is a big deal. What we find out in John chapter 12 is that in this home of Simon the leper, Martha is serving. That's what Martha does. She serves. She's like, ah, I'm going to help people out. I'm going to give. My spiritual gift is serving. I want to help people. There's even a little bit of an argument about this stuff. And Jesus actually affirms the sister. Who's the sister? Mary. What's Mary doing? She's at the feet of Jesus. Like she's drinking his words and thirstily. I'm here. I love this guy. <laughs> oh, also... It's Mary in this passage in Mark 14. You can imagine it. She was the one who saw her brother die. Probably the one who at least helped him prepare him for the tomb. She mourns her brother. Broken for her brother. Jesus shows up, calls her brother to life. He lives! And they're celebrating. Uh, John chapter 12 also tells us Lazarus is there. They have a lot to celebrate. And this woman comes into a room of men. And she has a lot to celebrate. 
but it was also a faux pas for her to do that. It was one thing to come in to serve. It's another thing to come in and be a part of things. And that's what she does in the setting where she takes this flask, opens it, and pours it over Jesus' head. In John 12, we also find that she pours it on his feet. There's a lot in this bottle. She pours it on his feet, wipes it up with her hair. Beautiful picture, sacrificial. But we're going to find out more about this. Let's continue to read in verse 4. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. Now that sounds legit, right? Like, okay, was this wasted? This 300 denarii, do you know how much that is? It's nearly a year's wage. It was the, uh, a denarius was one day's work for a common person. So there's 300, they didn't work every day. Do the math real quick, it's roughly one year's wage. And Mary, who is celebrating what God has done and pouring out on Jesus, she's extravagant humility. She has a flask that is worth a year's wage and serves Jesus with it. And we read that there are some who are indignant. This could have been spent better. What are they saying about Jesus? He's not worth it. He's not worth that. This this could be done better. By the way, John also tells us this, that the one who is perpetuating this conversation, a guy named Judas, maybe you've heard of him. Additionally, John gives us some commentary. And what John gives, who, and John knows Judas personally, he says this, he didn't care about the poor. He was stealing from the purse, the common purse of the ministry. John's look, or I'm sorry, Judas is looking at this going, I, I make a little money off of this. There's something here for me and now I don't get it. What does he have? Well, he certainly doesn't have satisfaction in Christ. He seems frustrated about the significance of Christ. And is the poor worth more than you, Jesus? And then it says, they scolded her. So imagine the vulnerability of this woman going into this group of men where she knows she's not supposed to be. She has something that uh, she could have even sold and kept the money herself but she takes it and pours it out on Jesus and she serves him in that place regardless of what is going on around her, this extravagant humility, and they scold her. Now watch Jesus. Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you and whenever you want, you can do good for them but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. That means this, you guys, uh, what she had access to, she served the Lord with. What she had, she served the Lord. It's not about what, what Judas is serving the Lord with or what Lazarus is doing or what Martha in the other room serving is doing. Nope, this is what Mary had access to. And with what she had access to, She serves the Lord. She pours it out, this extravagant humility. 
And truly, I say to you, whenever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be, uh, will be told in memory of her. Like that, where is her satisfaction? I'll tell you, it's not in a year's wage. Where is her significance? Well, it's not found in what these others will think of her. And what is her security? Well, clearly it's the Lord. Look, he, he's the one who says, leave her alone. Do you see the juxtaposition? Okay, so we've seen the first part. The chief priests, they're looking to kill Jesus. Now we see this woman who with extravagant humility pours herself out on the Lord, serving the Lord, giving to the Lord, going back to the way things were supposed to be in the garden. We see this good example. And now verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him, to, in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. He's going to betray him, and they're giving him money. Does anybody know how much he took for the betrayal? 30 pieces of silver, that's right. That's equivalent to roughly 120 denarii. So he's willing to give up Jesus for much less than this woman is willing to serve Jesus. And this is a guy who is handpicked by Jesus, who is loved by Jesus, who is walking with Jesus daily. I just got to tell you that I've seen it too many times where there is a place where people will give up their faith. I reached out to the Lord. I prayed to him and he didn't answer the prayer the way I wanted. I'm done. Like, Who's God there? Satisfaction, significance, and security without God. You know what? I'm watching my family suffer. I, I'm done. You know, the church is too early. It's the only day that I can sleep. Eh, I'm done. Like, there's lots of excuses, and we've seen them all. And we also may hide some in our heart. And we need to be careful. I want to give you one example for me. One example. <laughs> uh, okay, I don't mean to step on toes. I don't mean to be disrespectful. If this is disrespectful, please forgive me. It's not my intention. But is it fair to say that Minnesota, people in Minnesota are fairly stoic? Is that, is that fair to say? Fairly stoic. That's not bad. They're just fairly stoic. stoic. Um, which means you, we may not show on our face the excitement that we're hiding, right? Like, that, maybe. And so I'll tell you this. There have been times, multiple times, where I've been in the midst of worship, and instead of extravagant humility, I pull back. I, I don't want to raise my hands because what if I distract somebody else? And, and, and what if I get in the way? Nah, I won't do it. I'm not going to sing as loud because, one, people shouldn't hear me sing. And, and two, it may be distracting, Right? Uh, friends, let me explain something to you. That's called pride. That, that's exactly what that is. I care more about the people around me than the God that I'm here to worship. That's a problem. 
that, is, that is not pouring out myself. This woman doesn't care. Like, I am quite certain that she didn't, like, she didn't do it perfectly. Oh, this is how you anoint a person's head and make sure all of the hair get it and it runs down this way and then we pour a little on the feet this way, maybe massage it in. Like that, no, we don't see that. I think she, she's like, ah, from the overflow of her heart and the celebration of what has happened with her brother and what she knows to be true and this call of following Christ and of sitting at the feet of the Savior. She's like, ah, I just want to serve you and here's my opportunity and I want to pour this out to you and I don't even care what anybody else thinks. I don't care what anybody else experiences. I don't even care what they say because my satisfaction, my significance, and my security is not found in them. It's in Christ and I want to just Give this to you, God. Just receive this, please. (laughs) Hope I don't distract you. Hope I don't agitate you with worshiping God. Like, how silly is that? I believe this, that we have the opportunity, when we join together on Sundays, we have this opportunity to join the choirs of heaven who are singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The choirs of heaven that say, worthy is the Lamb. We get to join God in that place in a spiritual, in a spiritual way to, with extravagant humility to pour out of ourselves and give to God. And so often we hold back. And we would like to say it's because of distraction. And we'd like to say it's, it's because I don't... I, I don't want people to hear me saying, oh, I'm not as good of a singer as that person. And that's pride. And that needs to end. And I would suggest that this, what is Jesus worth? If we really believe it's everything, then with extravagant humility, would we be willing to put our satisfaction, our security, our significance in him? Would we be willing to do that? in every area of our lives, in our homes, in our schools, in our jobs, in our communities, in our relationship with one another and our relationships online. Would we be willing to do that? And I think if we did, we might reflect what Jesus intends when he comes as the one who is blessed in the name of the Lord to take our faces from whatever is focused on this world and to pick it up and see God. Here's some action steps I want to encourage you with this week. Ask the Spirit of God to search your heart and ask the question, Lord, would I walk away from you? If so, where? When? I just... Just for a moment, entertain the question because there may be these places, we're going to see some missionaries up here soon, that they have put themselves in a place where not, not just, it's not just them who might be martyred for their faith, but their families also. Uh, that's a hard one. I've heard people deny the call of Christ as a missionary, though knowing that they have that call because of this issue of safety. What are they doing? What are we doing? Secondly, be honest. Confess that uh, and repent. Thirdly, seek to serve Jesus in all areas of our lives. Count the cost and follow him.
uh, he tells us we're going to have to pick up our cross to do it. It might cost something. Nope. It will cost something. And it's worth it. It's worth it. As we prepare our hearts for communion and as the worship team comes, I, I just, I just want to encourage us to take a moment before the Lord with extravagant humility to pour ourselves out to God, to say, Lord, whatever is going on in my heart, whatever is going on in my soul, whatever I am holding back, I want to release. And I ask, Lord, that one, you would help me to have eyes to see it, and two, help me to confess it and repent and follow you. Additionally, communion is a time where we come together to remember what Jesus has done, that his body was broken for us his blood was shed it's a reminder that it's not our work it's his work it's a reminder that even if there have been these places in our hearts that we've not been willing to give up God can forgive God can restore and God can take us back to that garden place where we walk with him in extravagant humility being poured out onto him in beautiful ways. He can restore that if we would be willing. Communion is a time to remember that. Practically, we would ask you to take some time before the Lord to ask those questions and to address them. Secondly, as the Lord gives you freedom to go to the carpeted areas and go to the station nearest you, getting both the uh, both the elements and returning on the outer uh, aisle to your seat. And then at the end of this next time of worship, we'll come together and participate together in communion. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we need you. We thank you that you are good and worthy. We're thankful, Lord, that you are holy. We're thankful, Lord, that you are willing to restore us even if we've lost our way. And as we saw today, a, a group of people who were looking for their satisfaction, their significance, their security without you, we also see a woman who was willing to give everything to you, Lord, that she saw her satisfaction, her significance, her security in you, and with extravagant humility poured it out, not caring what those around her thought knowing that what really matters is what you think. So we're here today. Lead us for your good glory in Jesus' name.